encourage you to give. And uh, I want to let you know that I'm very, very excited about this message. I've actually been waiting to preach this message for a long time. Uh, This message is probably the reason why, uh, or sort of the catalyst message that um, I felt like uh, was a reason why we wanted to uh, focus on worship in this Wired for Worship series. And in this series, we, we talked about how, uh, how worship is sort of dining with Jesus. Jesus wants to come in and dine with you. And many times we make it so much about where we're eating and not who we're eating with. We've been in that situation where we're arguing about where we're supposed to eat and all that kind of stuff. And, and they forget about who we're eating with. I think that's one reason why people miss out on church. They, they, they have certain opinions about certain, uh, how the church does certain things. And they're, they're focusing on where the dining happens, where we're eating, uh, the word of God, where we're chewing on the word of God and not focusing on who we're dining with. And Jesus is here. God is here. And so uh, it's not about where we're eating, but who we're eating with. In our first week, we talked about how the approach, uh, how to approach worship, how we need to, just like Moses and the burning bush, we need to look and after we look, God will speak, and we need to listen, and then we need to learn something about God. And if you want to know something about God, you need to take the time. You need to focus. You need to look, get in God's Word, get in that time of prayer, uh, that time of singing, that praising, and listen to what God has to say for you and learn about His nature and learn what He wants to speak to you, because He does have a word for you. Week two, we talked about expressions of worship. There are biblical uh, expressions of worship that we find throughout Scripture. you got uh, clapping, raising hands, kneeling. You've got uh, even dancing. You've got uh, singing. You've got all of these expressions of worship. And last week, we talked about God's greatest desire. When God created and made uh, the earth and, and the things on the earth, he, um, he, um, when he made some things, he spoke into uh, where they were going to come from and how they're going to be sustained by and where they're going to go to. Like, for instance, uh, when he made the, her- the, the, the herbs and the plants and the trees on the earth, he spoke to the earth. You can look, look at Scripture. He spoke to the earth and said, produce, produce uh, all of this foliage, all of these trees. And so the trees and stuff that come from the earth, They are sustained by earth. They need earth to survive. And then when they die, trees die, they go back to earth. Well, when God made us, he spoke to himself. He spoke to himself and said, let us make man, woman in our own image. And so uh, we, he's telling us that because we came from God, our souls, our body. Our body came from earth, the, the dust of the ground. He blew into that and he made that. But our souls, it came from God. We should be sustained by God and we go back to God. That's how we are designed um, uh, and, and that's how we should, uh, we should end up going back to God. But then sin entered into the world and then that's where, um, that's where things got a little hairy. And then uh, God said, all right, I've got a plan and Jesus is my plan. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get on to this message. But that was God's greatest desire is you. God's greatest desire is you because he made us from himself in the likeness of him, in his image. We are God's greatest desire. Well, today I'm going to talk about what is Satan's greatest desire. What is Satan's greatest desire? Desire, And we're going to have four questions today. And the first question is, um, what was Satan's desire? What was Satan's desire? Now, this was, this was before 
and we're going to get an inscription on this. This is before the fall, before, you know, creation. This is when um, God was in, was in heaven with the angels and, and Satan was there. And, uh, and we'll see how all that transition happened. But what was Satan's desire? And Satan, uh, you'll see here in a little bit, Satan, his name was Lucifer. And so he was made uh, by God. And so what was his greatest desire? We're going to find this in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. If you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn to that. We also have it on the screens uh, behind me. So in, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15, uh, and the, Isaiah was a prophet, right? And Isaiah knew, a, uh, God told Isaiah lots of things. And so you just read the book of Isaiah, it's like amazing. But um, in, in verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. So he's talking to Satan. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart. Now, there are five I will statements that we're going to hear from Lucifer, right? So here's the first one. In, 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 this is in the quotations. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend. That's rising up. I will, number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty bold stuff there. Number three, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, up, elevating, north. We think north is up. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will rise up. And number five, I will be like the most high. So you have Lucifer saying, I will, I will, over and over again, be elevated higher than God. I would advise none of us in this room to, to go there with that. <laughs> to go there with that. You know, you ever had one of your kids say, I'll do what I want? <laughs> yeah. You know what happens next? It's like, yeah, I don't think so. We're going to show you who's, who's in charge here. And so, um, and that's what God did. And so, in verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest part of the pit. To the lowest part of the pit. And so those, those statements are saying, look, I want to be higher than God. Do you know that we are born with the same sort of sinful nature? We are born with the same sinful nature. And actually, when you think about it, Lucifer was the first, uh, was the first being to, to ever sin. It wasn't Adam and Eve. It was Lucifer. He was the first one, you know? And so when, when, uh, when, we, uh, when we think about it, we have this same sort of nature. We have this sort of look at me mentality. You know, that's what Satan, that's what Lucifer was like. Look at me, look at me. I want to be higher than God. I want to be elevated higher. Don't we do the same thing? Don't we have this sort of look at me mentality? Look at me, look at me. I'm going to give you an example of, of how I know this happens. When you, when you look at a picture, when you look at a picture and you, you, there's a group picture and you're, you're in this group picture and you're looking on your phone or whatever, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. Right. Come on, we can all admit that. We look at ourselves, don't we? Um, and, and, and isn't it a bad picture if you don't look good? Isn't it? Oh, it is with me. I was like, uh, we can't use that picture. I, I look awful. 
Yeah, we, because it's, it's about us. Look at me, look at me. We make it all about us. And so, but you know, what's interesting that Jesus, when he was on this earth, he was always pushing attention away from himself. It's such interesting, the contrast between Lucifer and, and, and Jesus. Um, he was pushing attention away from himself. He said, I'm here to do what the Father tells me to do. Look what the Father has done. Look what the Father is doing. Even the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will do this. He was pushing attention away from himself. What a great example. And you know what's awesome about that is when you and I become more like Christ in his image and in his likeness, guess what you and I will begin doing? We will begin pushing attention away from us on to others, on to others. We will help lift up others rather than ourselves. We will help elevate others more than trying to elevate ourselves. And if you ever get to the point to where you're, you're so focused on yourself, you got to get some time with Jesus. You got to get some time with Jesus to be in his likeness, to be in his, in his, in his image. The more we become like Christ, the more we lift up others. And, and let's focus in on verse 11 there in Isaiah chapter 14. It says, Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments. And the sound of your stringed instruments. Isn't this interesting that he has, um, he has put um, this idea of this this uh, stringed instruments and the sound of your stringed instruments. He's talking to Lucifer. Now, Isaiah, in this, um, in this book, if you're looking at the context of this, he's actually talking to the king of Babylon. He's actually talking to the king of Babylon when, uh, when he's, uh, this, this passage of Scripture. But he's really, what he's really talking to, he's really talking to Satan. You know, we see this um, in another place. When Jesus is on the earth, and remember when, you may have heard this story, remember he looked at Peter, the disciple, and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking, he was talking to Satan. He was talking to Satan. And that's what is happening in this situation. Uh, Lucifer is talking, I mean, uh, uh, God is talking to Lucifer. Yeah, he's speaking to the king of Babylon, but this really is in reference to Lucifer. Your pump is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments. And we see that he's talking to Babylon in, in verse 4, that you will take up the proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. So you have, a, you have a prophecy against the king of Babylon that was really a, a uh, prophecy or a word to Lucifer or about Lucifer. In, a, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, another prophet, um, we have a message to the king of Tyre, okay? A message to the king of Tyre. Again, he's talking to the king of Tyre, but he's really talking to Lucifer. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 16, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, I don't think he's talking about the king of Tyre. I don't think he's saying, man, you look good, dude. I don't think he's talking about that. Okay, he's talking to Lucifer. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of Eden. Now, I, 
Tyre, King Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden, okay? He was not there at the beginning. So that's another, uh, that's another thing we know that he's talking to Lucifer. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and jasper, uh, jasper, the sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers, and a cherub is an angel, is a ruling angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Again, he's talking to Lucifer. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading... That's an important word. You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Now, this passage in, in Ezekiel to the king of Tyre, or the king of Tyre, is really to Lucifer, because as we can tell, uh, th- those are, uh, he's using phrases in there that Tyre wasn't even, he wasn't even around. So he's talking to Lucifer. Now, um, let's go to verse 13 when it says, created with instruments. In verse 13, it says, you were in Eden, the Garden of Eden, every precious stone, he talks about how he's, how he's uh, covered with all these precious stones, and then the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you uh, um, when you were created. So, timbrels, another word for timbrel is where we get the word tambourine. It's a percussion instrument, okay? It's a percussion instrument. You were created with timbrels. Um, and, uh, and also, pipes. You were created with pipes. Wind instruments. A, a, a pipe is something you have to have wind to pass through it. Okay, so, so a flute, that's a, that's, that's a wind instrument, okay? And, and it, it's a pipe. So if you look at what Ezekiel says about Lucifer, and if you look at what Isaiah says about Lucifer, we can see that Lucifer, Satan, was created in his being with stringed instruments, Pipes and percussion instruments, timbrels. Do you know that every, I know this is a musician, but every instrument falls into one of those three categories. Every instrument is either a percussion or wind or a string instrument. Every instrument goes into those three categories. So, what was, what was Lucifer's job? Why was Lucifer a cherub? Why, why was he a ruling angel in heaven? What did he do in heaven? He was a worship leader. He was a worship leader. He led in worship. And you think about it, isn't music something that has the power and the ability to pull people away from God. 
for people to get distracted from God? And, and, and who was born with those elements as a part of his being? Lucifer. So Satan knows a lot about music. Satan knows a lot about music. And so he was a worship leader in heaven. You know, there were three, uh, the Bible tells us there, there are three sort of archangels. And they were uh, the Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Uh, Gabriel was sort of the messenger. Uh, we see Gabriel giving the message to Mary, saying, you're going to be with child. I know you've never been with, with anyone before, a man before, but you're going to be with child. And she also gave, uh, Gabriel also gave the message um, to Zechariah, who was a father of John the Baptist. Elizabeth, your wife, is going to be with child as well. So we see Gabriel giving messages. We also see in Michael, Michael's more of the, uh, uh, he's more of the leader of the armies. He's a, he's a defender, and he's also a rescuer. We see him um, in that, and you can look at Daniel chapter 10, how um, uh, how he, he uh, rescues, actually, uh, another angel. And, uh, and so um, it's pretty cool. Great, great uh, illustration. And then Lucifer was the worship leader. And so each of those archangels ruled over a third. They managed a third of the angels. And so when Lucifer fell, um, we, we know that a third of the angels went with him. And so, um, let's go to verse 16. In verse 16, in this, in this there's one ver, uh, word in here I want us to look at. By the abundance of your trading. By the abundance of your trading. Another word for trading is merchandising. To give you an example, let's say if you owned a, a suit, a fancy suit store, okay? And if I worked for your suit store, and let's say if I... Uh, a customer came in and I sold a suit that cost $300 and I took that money, and that suit was theirs, and I took that $300 and I put $200 in, in the cash register, but I pocketed 100 of that. It's called trading. It's called merchandising. And so we are stealing. <laughs> I call it what it is, too. So when, if I were to do that, I would be sealing, I'd be trading, I'd be merchandising. And so, but it's supposed to pass from between my hands. In order for you to sell that suit, in order for you to sell that suit, it's got to pass through me as someone who works for you. And so all that passes through me, but if I keep some of that, then you don't get the full amount of that suit, that $300. Well, that's exactly what happened to Lucifer. Lucifer, he was a worship leader. The praise passed through him to God. And one day he says, you know what? I'm going to take some of that. I'm going to put it right here. God immediately said, there's going to be none of that. And so he kicked Satan he kicked Lucifer out of, out of heaven. In fact, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, isn't it great to see your dad? Man, go get him, dad. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, like God went like Jason Bourne on Lucifer. You know what I'm saying? And so 
So God kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Lucifer was a worship leader. So what was Satan's desire? His, his, his desire was to be praised, to be elevated higher than God. That didn't work out too well for him. So next question, what is Satan's desire? What is Satan's desire? We found this in Matthew chapter 4, or this is going to lead up to, to how we're going to find this out. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, it says, Again, the devil took him up, it took Jesus, turned to Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, to Jesus, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And so Satan, Satan knows that true worship is expressed. Notice Satan didn't say, hey, I just want you to say, I just want you to sing to me. Or, or, or let's say, I just want you to, uh, to just follow me. No, he wanted it expressed. He said, I want you to bow because I know when worship is expressed, it means something. When worship is expressed, it means something. That's why it's important that we sing, at least sing when we're here in our worship. Or if you want to you know, clap, or you know, we went through all of those different expressions of worship a couple of weeks ago. But know this, God wants you to worship him. And the way to do that is through expressive worship and singing. And let me tell you something. I know as a man, as a man, you know, there are certain things that, that you know, we don't really do as, you know, as men. Because you're a macho, that sort of deal. And I know it's really, really easy for us, as, for you as a man, and I'm talking to men here right now, for you to be in this room, or you to be alone in your quiet time, whatever, for you to stand there and to sing. And gosh, or, or do this, you know, raise your hands. But let's just, let's just talk about singing. Men, I understand. You're in a situation like, okay, dude, I got a, I, I got a reputation, you know, to, to hold up. You know, I, I, I don't want to sing. I, I, I just think singing, some of you might think singing's for girls. Some of you might think singing is for women. For all of you men out here who have children or even grandchildren, there's no better thing than for your kids to watch you be expressive in your worship. There's no better thing for your kids to see. Look up and see dad singing. No better thing. Hey, they don't care if you sing bad. They don't care. They might make fun of you, and that's good. Roll with it, dude. But, but deep down, they're like, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Let me tell you what. You do not want your kids 
growing up not singing to the Lord or being expressive to the Lord. Because we know the expressive part is what comes, is what's from the inside and out. We see this in our relationships, with the way we talk to one another. If you're married or if you're in a, in a, in a serious relationship, you know, there are things you, you do in a, in, in, a, uh, in a relationship that you express that. You express those feelings, you know. And um, it, it could be with actions or with words or that sort of deal. I mean, just, just this week I, I expressed, um, uh, you know, some great words to, to, to my wife. And it was kind of a... a, a a unique situation. Um, Susanna and I were actually able to um, uh, get a uh, get another car uh, for our family because we got our kids are growing up. We got drivers, and and so we were able to get a, um, a great car. It's awesome. But in this car has something we've never had before, and it has an intercom system that has the Bluetooth technology, right? And so your phone. Your phone is connected to your Bluetooth, all right? As soon as you get in, you set it up and all this stuff. And so when people call you, you can talk to, you know, the phone, you know, the intercom system. So anyway, I, I, I'm still not used to that. So I called Suzanne, and Suzanne um, uh, is driving this, this car. And I begin to t- tell Suzanne some, you know, PG-13 <laughs> things. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a sign of a healthy marriage, you know what I'm saying? So I begin to, I begin to share something, begin to go, go that direction, and to, all of a sudden I hear Suzanne yell, Ready G, Ready G, Ready G. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about, Ready G? I mean, hey, it's just you and me, right? No. She said, intercom. And I'm like, oh. And so then, I, so then I hear little ones, you know, Marion, hey, pops, you know, in the background. Oh, hey, sweetie, hope you didn't really hear much of that. <laughs> but, you know, we laugh about that, but, I mean, it's important to express that. It's important to express it in many different ways. You can, get, you can express your love for that loved one in your life. Well, if God is a loved one, if Jesus is a loved one in your life, then you're going to want to express that. Can I tell you something? What is Satan's current greatest desire? What is to do everything he can to get you to stop worshiping? To do everything he can to get you to stop worshiping. Yep. And so that is, we talked about Satan's, what was Satan's greatest desire What is Satan's greatest desire? Now, what will be Satan's greatest desire? What will be his greatest desire? You know, the great thing about being a believer, being a Christian, is that we get the end of the book. We get the end of the book. We know what's going to happen at the end. Aren't you glad that we know that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, like, kick butt? All right? Isn't that awesome to know that? Because if we didn't have that that hope and and that proof, we'd be like, man, how's this thing going to work out? How's this thing going to work out? Well, Satan also knows the end. So let's read a little bit in Revelation. And by the way, uh, I'm going to be in Revelation in uh, October. So uh, you want to you stay, stay around through October because October we're actually going to walk through five weeks in the book of Revelation. And so um, this would be a little bit of a teaser for that. So in Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, it says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? 
Who is able to make war with him? Well, who's a dragon? Well, we see that in, in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Okay? So we see that the angels came, uh, were cast out with him. Um, in Revelation 17, verses uh, 13 um, through 14. It says this, these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and the king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. You know, I love the fact that we are called chosen and we are called faithful. But it says there, Jesus, he's going to make war with Jesus. I can imagine a conversation with maybe Jesus and, and Gabriel. Jesus say something like, hey, what did they just say? They're, they're worshiping the beast? What did they just say? Who, did they just say who can make war with them? Do those people who worship the devil... Are they saying, who, who can make war with him? And I can imagine Gabriel saying, yes, sir, they, that's exactly what they did. I mean, I'm sure Gabriel's waiting for this. He's like, yes. Jesus is, Jesus is ready to kick some butt. And I can imagine Jesus going to Gabriel saying, get my sword. Get my sword. And what happens next. This is better than any Jason Bourne movie. In, in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, Now I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Does that get you excited or what? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, well, show it. Express it. Yes, awesome. I mean, he's going to come back. He's going to say, they say that who's going to make a war with them? Who can stand against them? I can. Are you kidding me? So he's going to come back. He's going to take care of business. He is king of kings, and he is lord of lords. So we've answered, we, we looked at a few passages of scripture, uh, a few questions. What was Satan's greatest desire? What is Satan's greatest desire to stop you from worshiping? What will be Satan's greatest desire for, to get the nations on the earth to worship him, to worship the beast, and to make war with the lamb? I have a fourth question. The fourth question is this. Who 
is God's new worship leader? Who is God's new worship leader? We talked about how Satan was clothed in all of these precious stones. Beautiful. When John describes the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and the bride covered with beautiful, precious stones. We talked about how Satan has within him, in his being, he has percussion instruments. He has stringed instruments. He has wind instruments. Do you know you have those as well in your being? You also. You have percussion instruments. This is the percussion instrument. You have percussive, percussion instruments. Do you know that your vocal cords, we call them cords, they're very, very thin cords, almost like strings. And when, and when you sing, when you pass air or wind from your being, it passes through those vocal cords. You and I have wind instruments, string instruments, percussion instruments built into who we are. You know, I can imagine after God kicked Satan out of heaven and he's walking this earth and it's, and it's, and it used to be void and he's spoken to the earth and it's producing and in his creation and Satan's on the earth before the, the day he made man. I, can, I would just imagine, we, this is not in scripture, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking out loud. I just wonder if Lucifer talked to God and said, all right, so how's it going to heaven without your worship leader? How's it going with a third of the angels gone singing your praise? That's a lot of angels. So who's your worship leader now? Who's your worship leader now? I can imagine God bending down, picking up some dust, forming it. That is my new worship leader. That is my new worship leader. You are God's new worship leader. Well, I don't lead worship. No. You lead your family in worship. You lead yourself in worship. You're a worship leader. So you were created by God. You are wired for worship. You are wired for worship. Don't fall to the schemes of the devil who wants to do everything he can to stop you from worshiping him. And he wants to do everything he can to stop you from being expressive in your worship. You are God's worship leader. And who do we worship? We worship a glorious father, a father who is so good. In fact, He's a good, good father. And he wants his children, he wants his children to sing praises unto him.
And don't think, don't think that you're not good enough to sing praises or to worship him. Don't think you're sitting here thinking, well, Frank, if you knew half the things I've done, I can imagine things you could have done because I've heard lots of stories. I've heard lots of testimonies. Uh, I haven't really heard anything new. So I probably have heard your story. And so has God. So we need to come to him this morning. And we need to bow before him in worship. In just a few moments, we're going to have a worship song. We're going to sing a song called Good, Good Father. And God wants his children to sing praises. In fact, in just a moment, I'm not even going to sing. One of my, one of my children are going to sing. Good, good father. He's going to lead you in worship. And one reason for that is to show that we've got to do everything we can to show the next generation, our kids and grandkids and so on, that worship is so important. Worship is so important. And it's not just about singing. It's living a life of worship. Opening God's word is worship. Kneeling in prayer is worship. 